0: Hello and welcome to this afternoon's debate. It's a hybrid conference by Euractiv, supported by Google. My name's Jennifer Baker. I'm going to be your moderator today, talking about the Digital Services Act, and we're going to be asking what the European Union's economy, the digital economy, is really going to look like after the DSA. We're going to talk about what we want it to look like, as well as all the negotiations that are entering. We believe their final stage at this point. It's been a long road to get here, so we're going to talk about. The key points. The DSA is one of the biggest overhauls of the digital rules in more than two decades. We've seen other elements relating to this that will interact with it, things like cybersecurity, things like the GDPR. There's a lot of different questions, a lot of different moving parts. So we also have to think about how the DSA interacts with those other laws and what it's going to mean in terms of enforcement, in terms of implementation. We're going to have a lot of discussion on that. I will remind the audience that you can enter your questions to our great panellists in the box just to the right of your screen. You can type your questions in there, please. If they're for a specific panellist, do say so, or if they're for the entire panel, indicate that as well. And I will try to get to as many as possible in the time we have. You can also share on social media using the hashtag EADebates. Now, I'm very pleased to have with me in our hybrid format, joining me in the room, we have Sandro Gozi, MEP, and member of the Imp- co-committee in the European Parliament. Joanne Baratta is Intermediary Liability Fellow on the Programme on Platform Regulation at Stamford Cyber Policy Centre. Joining remotely, we also have Asha Allen, Advocacy Director for Europe in the online expression and civic space at the Centre for Democracy and Technology. And last but not least, also happily joining us in person again, Seada El-Ramli, Director General at DOT Europe. So thank you all very much for being here. Sandra, I'm going to let you open the discussion. Tell us why the DSA is so important, why you think now might be a turning point and what the economy should look like afterwards. In brief, we'll delve into the details in due course. It's
1: important because after two centuries, it was big time uh, uh, to adopt new rules because after all, uh, uh, in the time of digital revolution, 20 years are two centuries for the technological innovation and for digital transformation. And the last big piece of legislation that we adopted in Europe in, a, in this sector was the, the the e-commerce directive of the beginning of the, this new millennium. So of, of course it was absolutely important. It's important because uh, it is ambitious in my view. I would have there are some points on which I would have liked more. We can come back on that. But there is an ambition of the of the European Union to act as a global uh, set, a rule set, global uh, standard set, and to develop a model. Uh, which is alternative to uh, the to laissez-faire, everything uh, based on self-regulation, which is the U.S. model, and the totally uh, state-controlled model, undemocratic, uh, with the Chinese. So, I mean, I, I think that we have uh, the right ambition uh, to propose not only to the our consumer, our citizens, but to the rest of the world. If it works, a new approach to the digital issues. And the last, uh, but certainly not least, because it's easy to say, but difficult to implement the principle, what is illegal offline must be illegal online. But this is the main purpose. Uh, One of the main purpose is just having sex. There are three reasons why I think it's going to make a change also in the European economy, more choice for the consumer, uh, more pluralism in the market. So more opportunities also for, I mean, new, uh, firm new business and more transparency for the existing business. So, I mean, this is uh, uh, all, in my view, good news um, for all of us.
0: Well, thank you. You mentioned this idea of exporting rules to the world. and I mentioned at the beginning the GDPR, which is seen as a template for how the EU can be a leader globally in terms of digital rules. Joan, let me bring you in. What is your perspective on this? And give me your, your opening overview on what you think we should be discussing when it comes to the DSA.
2: thank you thank you very much i hope that at least you can see me perhaps i'm frozen but uh, i'm sorry you can you can hear my voice huh? apologies i'm in the maldives but for work and uh, this is why i have this uh, this connection that is not completely unstable uh, the completely stable Well, the, what i would like to say first of all is that indeed uh, the, the world is looking um and this is why i mean we need to be particularly careful uh when it comes to drafting the the, the dsa because i mean we have already seen for example with the net digital, Uh, that some of the parts of that that, uh, German law were kind of copied um, by by authoritarian regimes, so to speak. So I think that it is very important uh, to understand that now uh, Europe is setting the tone of, uh, let's say, international debates uh, when it comes to platform regulation, that there are other debates going on in other parts of the world, for example, in the United States, where uh, Section 230 is being weakened weakened more and more and more. Uh, We also have the competing model of the online safety bill in the United Kingdom that will also try to Attract, let's say, the practices of platforms towards the the, the orbit of the the idea of online safety. Uh, a, a law for, by the way, this this British proposal. I mean, is based probably on the principle that what is freedom of expression offline can be harmful online, which is a very dangerous uh, principle. That uh, there are some. I mean, chances that in, in c- certain ways it can be incorporated into the, into the European uh, model as well. But uh, let me just make a final reflection because we only have a few minutes. Uh, in order to build a market, uh, we need legal certainty. And legal certainty is still to, to be achieved in the field of uh, platform regulation because we already have all the, all the rules, all the laws in Europe. We have uh, terrorist content online regulation. We have the audiovisual media services um, uh, directive. We have the copyright directive in a very voluntary i mean in a very let's say perhaps aspirational manner i mean now there's a there's an amendment to the dsa saying that the, the commission will provide guidelines on how to deal with that big constellation of norms but i think it can be particularly challenging. So I think that additional efforts still need to be made in order to make sure that by incorporating the DSA to this already existing network of of, of rules, um, we don't damage uh, legal certainty. We don't harm legal certainty because this is a basic precondition, as I said, for building a a prosper and predictable market and therefore an attractive market. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Asha, let me bring you in. Joanne, they're talking about legal certainty uh, and how that's needed for business side and platform economy side of things. Obviously, uh, individuals want legal certainty as well in terms of defence of rights. Um, Give me your opening thoughts around this area. Yes,
3: certainly. And very much to echo uh, uh, Joan there, there is certainly a need for legal clarity, um, of course. And and I just want to thank you, of course, for the invitation to speak here today. And um, you know the the Achievement of the EU's digital single market has been on the docket for consecutive uh, Commission terms. And whereas the DMA aims to improve the way digital markets work and indeed also need to be centered upon the protection of uh, users' human rights, the DSA addresses concerns around user-generated content, which is subjectively much more uh, complex endeavor, especially as it concerns issues of free expression, freedom from discrimination, and the balancing of fundamental rights, platform accountability, and the prevention of government surveillance and censorship. These are very deep issues with very the need for a very nuanced conversation and debate. And so it is without doubt that the legislative framework in, uh, in Europe um, has required a significant update for years. And I'm sure many of us have been in similar conversations about the Digital Services Act um, and the opportunity that it presents even before the draft was published at the end of 2020. So the need for legal clarity in our contemporary digital reality and the opportunity that it still presents to define a human rights centric model of platform governance, even in these late stages of the negotiations is still very apparent. So what the European digital ecosystem will look like for me anyway, is a multidimensional question. On the one hand, if done correctly, the EU could set a precedent for the most comprehensive and holistic legislative framework for platform and content governance and the two pronged approach that we uh, see in the Digital Services Act, uh, the Digital Services Act, along how to um, appropriately tackle illegal content and the due diligence obligations, um, need to be, of course, founded upon the preservation of, of fundamental rights. But more importantly, need to be practically implementable and enforceable. And in achieving this we will create a harmonized approach again going back to, to what joan was mentioning there to the challenges the deep digital ecosystem has increasingly faced particularly given the variations and approaches adopted in national legislation in this area and on the other hand the question also needs to look beyond the european scope the DSA will be to our public discourse what the GDPR was to privacy. There's no doubt about this. It's going to be a game changer with far reaching implications well beyond the European jurisdictions. So I would ask how would the DSA shape the digital economy and the digital environment on a global scale. So from this fundamental rights perspective, we hope that the DSA does achieve its aim in re-establishing the rules for online intermediary services, um, being clear on their responsibilities, the responsibilities of public authorities as well, and will provide individuals and users with meaningful transparency um, and bring much needed clarity to the operationalization of the EU digital uh, uh, market and create a safer more vibrant and diverse online space that's founded upon those eu values
0: thank you asha sayada it falls for your opening remarks um, you can draw a lot on, on what your fellow speakers have said i'm sure um
4: thank you very much jennifer thank you you for having me um indeed the dsa was much needed um for everybody involved for stakeholders for the industry for users at large Um, to better European regulation in the online service um, space. And I think that this commission has been very clear on having a vision to create these fundamental framework pieces that would set the approach to these services. Something that the e-commerce directive did for a long time in a limited manner when it came to liability uh, especially but this is much broader. So the DSA is accompanied by the DMA, is accompanied by the AI Act, the, D- the Data Act, all these fundamental pieces that together will create that framework. And I think that if we look at it as part of the bigger puzzle, we're not there yet, first of all. And secondly, it is the whole approach of all of that on how to deal with online services, which is the right approach to take. Um, the industry needs the legal certainty Everybody else does as well. So there, I'm, I'm quite confident that we've been asking for it for a while as well. Um, <clears throat> the other thing is, why aren't we there yet? Because I think we're very quick at now saying, "Well, it's almost done. We're we're in the last um, sprint to the finish." There's still so much to be done. Like, I don't envy the co-legislators in their negotiations how much they actually need to deal with right now. The fact that there are new concepts that have been introduced to the text as part of the considerations by the co-legislators that now have to be resolved and have to be addressed, um, but that there isn't a common approach on. Um, Things that will be fundamental. How is the enforcement going to work? Are we going, How are codes of conduct for very large online platforms going to interact with uh, and potential oversight bodies under those codes of conduct going to interact with DSCs, for example? Are the member states ready to put DSCs in place uh, uh, in the implementation time that we have? All those things still need to be for, uh, figured out. But I do think to, to end on an optimistic note, I think it will set the scene again. And the whole whole package of all of these fundamental framework pieces will set Europe um, as a front runner in terms of exporting digital policy.
0: Well, in terms of enforcement, we've seen time and again that Once the law is there, there is a grace period to allow member states to to get their house in order. Um, So let's perhaps give them the benefit of the doubt on that. Um, But Sandro, as one of the co-legislators, I'll give you the opportunity. You said there are certain things you'd like to see changed or tweaked. Do you want to highlight those now before we get into discussions of how it might impact users?
1: I mean, i give you just an example, talking about user and illegal content, uh, I I would have... uh, Wish to see uh, not only a takedown but a stay down obligation. Once that you have identified an illegal content, you don't have uh, as a consumer to be put at risk to meet meet that illegal content again. So I mean that is only a, an example of something that I know that some platform didn't like it, but from the consumer protection perspective, we take a, a very important step ahead. But I think that there are few issues that. Uh, in the review clause, I mean, we will review the implementation of the DSA and that review clause, I get that this would be, just to give you one example, one of the issues on which which we will come back.
0: Let me, Asha, let me bring you in and ask you, what do you think will change for users uh, down the line if we see the DSA as it currently stands?
3: Well, I think it's actually a very broad question. There are many things uh, that could change uh, for users. But as a first point, I would say that many central tenants of the free Internet should fundamentally remain in place um, from the e-commerce directive. And this is vital, such as the conditional liability framework and the prohibition of general monitoring. It's essential that these are not undermined um, as the negotiations continue. But what will uh, will change and what will rightly change specifically for users, because I think it's important to understand that the DSA is going to impact um, many different actors uh, through the in- entire chain. But specifically for users, there will be uh, additional clarity provided on the processes and the mechanisms uh, for content moderation, which at the moment still remains quite opaque for users generally at the center of the digital services act are um, extensive transparency obligations which are applicable um, across various areas of the text and this aspect of transparency is one that i wanted to zoom in on the dsa is huge i think those of us who've read it multiple times know how large it is so i wanted to zoom in on, on one point there And it's important because it's an essential cog in the mechanism when it comes to accountability. And so some examples of this include, say, increased transparency on terms of services, for example, so statements of reasons for content moderation decisions. Um, They are important for providing users with a more predictable environment, as already mentioned, and though the possibilities um, and limits around their behavior online but users will also be able to identify uh, what content is an advertisement for example um, and should be provided with much more control over the functional mechanisms related to targeted advertising which are incredibly useful Uh, another example of what may change will be increased access for users um, to an array of redress and dispute settlement mechanisms and how these can be um, assessed and making sure they're accessible to all but These are just a few examples. The main takeaway here must be that users, if the DSA is done correctly, should see a fundamental paradigm shift um, and that they should be empowered with a better understanding of the services that they use and more control over the parameters that they engage with all under the umbrella in being a fundamental human uh, rights-based approach that is preserving their rights in these spaces. It's important that these preserved changes for users must contribute to improving the digital uh, ecosystem for the better and work in practice. And this ties into what some speakers have already mentioned about enforcement and when uh, the DSA will be implemented. So in short, uh, there should be central tenants that are protected. And so users may be able to still experience a free internet, um, which is incredibly important, particularly for, for marginalized communities who use this for mobilization and, and awareness raising. But similarly, there should be increased control, increased uh, transparency, and a safer environment as well.
0: Joanne, let me bring you in as well to talk about this question of what it will mean to users and what can they rely on. I mean, will it be a seismic shift? And if we look a little bit broadly, how much future proofing can be built into something like the DSA? Because we talk a lot about uh, legal certainty, but there's a lot of shifts within the tech side of things as well that perhaps uh, new developments may result in uncertainty when when they're not sure how they can be applied to the DSA.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I think, I mean, I totally agree with what has just been said. I mean, I think that this is a major step forward when it comes to protecting the the rights of users. Um, Because so far, most of the discussions uh, in the area of platform regulation have been around this idea of intermediary liability, how intermediary liability is understood, how it is protected, the, the American model, the European model. And this is the first time that in a very consistent manner, I would say in a Very articulated manner, Uh, 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 a law, uh, let's say, um, tackles this 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 issue in a in a in a systematic way, in a in a in a coherent way, uh, including many many different. rights and safeguards. Also, I mean, what, what I've seen is that uh, in the process of uh, of amendments, I mean, many, many new rights, many new safeguards have been introduced. And they also, of course, represent uh, new tasks for for platforms. And uh, here, we also need to be able to assess whether, I mean, this, this huge amount of, of new tasks that now uh, platforms will be facing, I mean, how this can be, I mean, this, this, can, this can be managed by them. Of course, there's always this assumption that, okay, platforms have the money, so they will have the capacity. They only need to invest. But to what extent the way, I mean, now content needs, we, the, the way content will be moderated, uh, to what extent it this is the best way to spend platforms' money and platforms' time. Uh, For example, I mean, the the, the need to provide statements of reasons and then establish a database. I mean, there are are certain obligations that uh, perhaps, I mean, um, there are ways to make them a little bit more proportionate, not for the sake of, let's say, um, helping uh, companies to save money, but just to avoid, I mean, the imposition of very cumbersome obligations in practice that they don't bring any specific benefits uh, for, for, for for users. And at some point, let's say what these these um, let's say obligations may, may create, let's say um, market. Entry barriers that we don't want to, to to impose in Europe because what we want to do is to also facilitate the emergence of e- European platforms. So, so I think that this is an angle that also needs to to, to be considered. And when it comes to the adaptation of, uh, of to 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 future challenges, uh, it is obvious that the, that the DSA I mean opens the door or um, to let's say. Um, to solve, perhaps, these issues via co-regulatory mechanisms or via um, self-regulation that are both then, uh, contemplated by the DSA itself. Uh, the problem here is that some of the uh, let's say, um, empowerments uh, look a little bit too vague and they do not contain perhaps sufficient safeguards in terms of the possible impact uh, that these, um, let's say, forms of co-regulation, self-regulation may have uh, on the right of users.
0: Um, I will push back and say that often people think that self-regulation is no regulation, so we're going to come on to a little bit about enforcement. Siada, how do you react to this question of it being overly burdensome, uh, some of the elements being overly burdensome for business?
4: Some of the suggestions have been, I think, um, and and that's exactly the point that we have made on how do we create clarity on what the added value is. So transparency is is very broad and a very big topic, we're not against transparency that's fine but to whom and to what end and what kind of transparency is more um the question that we usually ask um we're getting more clarity on that i think as discussions are going forward and um i think what what we'll need to see as well is will some of the obligations on very large online platforms eventually somehow um, impede growth of some of those who are just on the cusp. Um, because it's quite a suite in terms of risk mitigation measures uh, that are foreseen. It's quite a suite of uh, things that they need to do. And I don't know. There are some that are just around that threshold. How would that actually translate into those companies being able to respond to that? Um, but with every piece of legislation, there are obligations that the companies will have to make, make do uh, and work with. It's just that, for example, on some of the issues, um, on the on the obligations, we did need to have more clarity. We still need some more clarity on what does it mean in terms of some of the proactive measures we can take on disinformation, for example. And it is something that we're concerned of. MEP um, Gozi mentioned the stay down obligations, for example, that didn't make it through to the final text in the European Parliament. But I think there's a valid reason why those kinds of debates have to be had. And that's because it would be in direct contradiction with the, the ban on general monitoring. And so how do you balance that out to come up with a sound piece of legislation at the end? And I think that's what's happening right now.
0: I mean, and do you think some of this has been amplified due to, if you like, mainstream current affairs? We see disinformation currently with the war in yeah. Ukraine as a huge issue that not just companies, but users are very, very worried about, and they are asking for solutions from our policymakers. Uh, Do you feel that's driving the debate, or or the DSA has been going so long that these are just add-ons?
4: I think tech policy is not left up to the geeks anymore. I think everybody has an opinion about it because it actually influ- it, it impacts our daily lives. It's what we see in the news, it's how we use our services online, it's how we live our lives, especially coming out of a pandemic where a lot of our lives have been pushed online. Um, that has kind of accentuated the uh, pivotal role of some of the services. And so I think everybody has an, has an opinion. Rightly so though. So yes, I think it ups the pressure. The only thing in these awkward situations is always trying to balance the political pressure and will to get it done and uh, getting the ba- striking the balance at the right level.
0: Sandro, um, tell me, I mean, how do you, how do you view it as a policymaker um, with the constant, we hear it all the time, the fast pacing, fast paced change of tech, but also now with the added external impacts of, of the news, of what we see happening in the world around us and We see users clamoring for some sort of clarity on things like disinformation. How do we deal with that when we talk about user-generated content and, as Seattle very rightly says, a prohibition on general monitoring?
1: Well, I mean, uh, starting from the issue of disinformation, uh, I would say that uh, freedom of speech uh, is not freedom of reach. So it is clear that, I mean, we cannot censure the individual users but we don't uh, ensuring and respecting the right of each of us to express our or his own opinion doesn't entail the right of each of us, of each of us to see a, a very high virality of any content that we put <laughs> uh, online when this content is clearly linked to a disinformation campaign, a misinformation campaign when uh, uh a, I mean a vetted researcher or fact checker saying this is fake news this is false so i mean this is the point uh, and this will be the the most uh, has been the most difficult point in the negotiation and it's going to be the most difficult point also i think now and in the implementation and it is linked to uh uh, what you're referring to, I mean, the issue of moderation, uh, of a specific obligation of very large on pla- online platform, uh, on the systemic risk uh, to security and to fundamental rights. I, in my view, uh, that part is probably, from this perspective, the most important part of the essay. I mean, there are many things that we could say on user protection, user rights. But I mean, to continue to answer to your question, which was directly on that, I would say that uh, the reporting obligations, uh, the transparency obligation, uh, the transparency of the algorithm, the right of the researcher to open the black box and look inside and see how the algorithm works from this perspective of, I mean, uh, um, help, having uh, the digital platform on our side to fight this information. Uh, that is the, the most important and the most sensitive issue in the implementation. But I would say that uh, looking also for, to the current news is the most important issue. I mean, I, I was also a member uh, of the Special Inquiry Committee on uh, Foreign Interference in our democratic processes and disinformation. And it is clear that, I mean, uh, the digital platform and the online activities play a role, have played a role uh, in uh, uh, in uh, attacking our uh, freedom, uh, to uh, making our mind as citizens and voters in every way. Then, you know, the point is not uh, how many people, because, I mean, I, when I was uh, debating uh, on a specific case of a constituency in a former EU member state, uh, first past the post system, I think you guess, uh, which was, according to many researchers, clearly, a constituency where you had got uh, strong influence by a foreign interf- foreign power, the answer was uh, yes, but it wasn't decisive to win. Yeah, but this is not the point. This is not the point. And this is why, I mean, uh, the point is, should we ensure that our democratic processes are fully independent and that each of us can make up his or, his or her own mind without being influenced? This is the point. And I, I think that uh, uh, I, am, uh, I, I don't know how this part, probably you have some idea, I don't know how this part is going to be really implemented, I mean, uh, for the expert Article 26 or 27 of this DSA. But I think that fr- from, from the perspective you mentioned, this the most, important, the most important part. And of course, it's linked to the more transparency, more transparent obligation that has been introduced.
0: Asha, I see you nodding along. Uh, would you like to comment on that?
3: So yes, I, I think that uh, I'm, I'm nodding along and, and listening to the to the debate as it as it's going. Um, and I think that of course we need to address specific issues around such as disinformation. Uh, we know that the Digital Services Act is going to try and tackle this in the provisions around Article Twenty Six on the the risk mitigation measures um, and addressing the systemic risk. But you mentioned earlier actually the the other mechanisms and the other legislative frameworks that are important here. And we have to remember that we also have the draft proposal on online political advertising and that also specifically tries to address some of the issues that MEP uh, Gozi has mentioned there. But it is very much about the balancing of fundamental rights in these aspects. It cannot be about the preservation of some rights over and above the others. We have the European Charter of Fundamental Rights um, and we have to ensure that all of those rights are preserved. And thinking about this from an intersectional perspective, my my background uh, was in uh, looking into online gender-based violence and advocacy around this. And this required a very clear, nuanced approach in which the respect for all fundamental rights and the balancing of those rights was needed so that mechanisms, whether it was in content moderation practices or whether it was legislative approaches, didn't undermine efforts to actually concretely address the issue and became either laws of unintended consequences or content moderation practices of unintended consequences either. So this is why it has it has to be centered on that human rights centered uh, approach and the appropriate safeguards need to be put in place. And though it is vital that we do have the DSA soon and we want to make sure that we have an appropriate framework for the contemporary digital ecosystem that we operate in, EU decision-makers, lead negotiators um, really need to think deeply and reflect about the practical implementation of these to make sure that the rush to bring this to life does not unintentionally undermine undermine the very rights that they are uh, tasked with and and voted for to to protect.
0: Well, let me uh, throw into the mix there as well. We also have the upcoming AI Act, which will muddy the waters even further in relation to things like opening the algorithm, Sandro, as you said. Um, so let me ask then, um, how do you see the DSA working alongside upcoming laws like like the Digital Markets Act, the Data Governance Act and the AI Act, as well as existing rules around, say, GDPR? Do you see, uh, Seattle, let me ask, do you foresee any, huge stumbling blocks, or or do you think that there's enough consideration given that the legislators working on these may have worked on on those other files as well?
4: So if we pair it back to where the Commission proposal was, I think definitely it would have taken the other pieces into account. Where it is right now, and I think that's the complexity, again, at the very late stage in the negotiations, it's how will it then interact with it? What, What has been added to the piece? Um, that gave it a different uh, form, different way of implementing it, different definitions, and how will that fit into the other um, pieces? So, for example, one of the, just to respond to one of the concerns with regards to disinformation, so there a lot of work is already being done to prepare for the DSA being finalised. But similarly, we've got uh, the CSAM proposal coming up next month. We have got the AI act that is still to be defined. the um, political advertising is going to be another one, but th- sorry, they all need to complement one another, and um, it will become tricky and it will mean a lot of lawyers reading word for word every clause again to see how that will echo each other and whether we don't have different definitions. so at a certain point there was um, there was a child protection clause in that turned into a ban on targeted advertising for minors that was the right adaptation because then you didn't have a conflict anymore with AVMS or the GDPR. Had it been children, it would have been in direct uh, conflict. So it's those kinds of details that still need to be checked and will continue to be checked in those that come after the DSA to make sure that there isn't any conflict then.
0: Uh, Joanne, uh, your thoughts as well on this, on the, if you like, interoperability of the DSA with something like the GDPR?
2: Yeah, thank you. First, let me just I mean, talk about. Uh, I mean, Russia, uh, because of course, I mean, we we have seen lots of debate uh, these these years. I sorry, these these days, uh, with regards to uh, the DSA or to what extent. I mean, we can learn lessons, new lessons for for the DSA uh, coming from the, the the conflict and the the, the challenges triggered by the, by by the conflict in in Ukraine. And I would like to stress the fact that I mean, we all hope that this is a conflict that will not last long. Um, this is a a very exceptional situation. This is an exception—a situation where content that is um, formally prohibited by international human rights law has been disseminated. So here we are talking a ve- about a very exceptional situation. So I'm, I don't believe it would be wise now to look into the DSA through the lan- lenses of the current conflict now in Ukraine. It would be even dangerous because I mean here, I mean the the, the, the situation is is. Uh, quite exceptional i believe and we all hope that it will not last uh, for 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 long that that's the first caveat that that i wanted to to express when it when it comes to 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 the let's say Connection, interaction with 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 all the laws. Uh, in my case, because I'm I'm I, during a certain period of time, I, I, I work as a regulator in the in the audiovisual media se- uh, sector, and um, perhaps my main concern refers to the audiovisual media services directive, that already contains uh, important provisions uh, when it comes to, um, I mean, certain content moderation, what's uh, say rules that platforms need to follow, and the role of audiovisual regulators in this field. And I think that here, I mean, it's it's also important to to understand that in many cases, the digital services regulators uh, will be authorities that they already that already have relevant competences in other fields huh? so i think it would be very important to make sure that the digital services regulators have um, not only the proper understanding but also the resources to let's say enforce a type of regulation that is completely different from the kind of regulation that they have had to enforce uh, until until a certain point. And here, I'm talking not only about audiovisual media services regulation, regulators, but also data protection regulators and others that may uh, be uh, called by the DSA to play a certain role in this area. So it's not only about, let's say, how DSA interplays with other relevant uh, norms, EU norms, that I think that this is already an issue, but how we adapt national regulators uh, to the new job, considering that in many cases, and if we listen to ERGA, for example, ERGA says, well, audiovisual regulators are here to enforce the DSA. Uh, So regulators coming from another sector uh, can really tackle these tasks uh, without, I mean, major issues in terms of uh, legal safety, in terms of proper enforcement, proper understanding, etc. Also taking into account that at the top of the system, we will have the European Commission. The European Commission can have technical capacity, but doesn't have the political independence. And uh, according to international standards, uh, those who take regulators, so to speak, that take relevant decisions that affect speech. And if we look at the DSA, the Commission will take many relevant decisions that affect speech. They have to be independent regulatory bodies, either at the national or the European level. So I think that at the level, it's not an issue or a challenge in terms of legislation, but also in terms of the regulatory bodies that will have to enforce the legislation. Thank you.
0: Thank you, I will come back to that in just a moment. Uh, You mentioned there that the Ukraine situation is, of course, an exceptional situation. But I wonder if we're not perpetually in exceptional situations. We had a financial crisis, an ongoing climate crisis, a pandemic and now a war. It feels it's it's a perma crisis scenario we're living through. And that brings me a question from our audience member. William is asking you, uh, Sandro, um, I think you've answered a lot of it already, but you stated that the DSA is a good balance between excessive deregulation in the US and excessive control in China. Russia is going the way of China. In view of the misinformation related to the Ukrainian conflict, would you have changed anything in the position of the European Parliament on the DSA?
1: No, because uh, we took into account—we no, didn't take into account the uh, Russian aggression to Ukraine, but we took into account uh, the Russian misinformation action as we took into account the Chinese misinformation action, as we took into account the uh, interference of the Venezuela in the the democratic processes, all this uh, uh, is not breaking news. It is in our report that we uh, we adopted with the inquiring committee. So, I mean, we know, uh, we did uh, name them. We, I don't know if they are ashamed, I don't think so, but I mean, uh, we have identified them Uh, and uh, uh, we have, already take into account some uh, some uh, of the measures and i think that uh, i repeat uh, the moderation obligation the uh, obligation to address uh, the systemic risk to security uh, uh, and to fundamental rights uh, uh, also to cyber security i think that there and then uh, as it has been mentioned, there is another, another piece of legislation which is going to be very important, and I don't say it because I will be the trustman, but because political advertising online and offline is part of the answer, and it's part of the answer to the question. Uh, and there we have to see uh, which kind of uh, new new measure in terms of transparency and also in terms of restrictions we want to introduce uh, when it comes to political advertising. What shall we do with uh, non-EU uh, actors? Uh, for example, this is a key a key issue. But it is clear that uh, and the other aspect which is going to be addressed in other proposals, for example NSI and also at national level is the issue of cybersecurity. Because uh, uh, to complete the answer to, to the person who is following us, it is clear that there is a war which is going on and we are already fighting, which is the cyber security war. And that that is going to be more and more in the future, the way of uh, handling uh, conflict. And also this aspect, which I mean, it goes well beyond the SA, but is something that we have to start to address also at EU level. Strategic compass adopted yesterday to go towards the direction and uh, is part of the answer. Uh, to uh, our our autonomy, our independence. After all,
0: well, I hope we'll have a chance of another debate on those specific issues because indeed there is a revision of the NIS coming up, uh, coming down the track. We're going to see version two, which I'm sure will take into account many of these areas. Um, moving on to to to, to back to uh, to Jean's uh, comment regarding uh, enforcement and regulating bodies and so on. I do want to ask, what will user redress look like? How do we think that's going to function? And you know, not all uh, regulators are created equal. We've seen with, again, the GDPR is always my go-to reference point, but the DPAs, they vary from one country to the next. The ones who are well-funded do a great job. Those who are less well-funded, less so. Um, Ciara, what's your take on how might user redress be successfully accomplished in a way that's A, not too burdensome on either the user or the, uh, the, 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 <laughs> the victim of the complainant, if you like.
4: So I, th- I think that this is still an issue that is currently being resolved. So it's not one that's been finalized, but uh, where we hopefully will land is that we'll all have a bit more certainty as to what can, uh, can be done. Uh, without it turning into a bottleneck um, for the regulators. Because I think that that's going to be a big issue. This is a very broad um, piece of legislation that covers a lot of ground that should allow the DSCs to also be the dialogue partner with the technology industry to really understand where they're going, where what they're doing, um, be the ones overseeing them, but also have more of a hand on the pulse in terms of what's going on um, and the last thing we'd like to see is to create bottlenecks that are unnecessary. And I do think uh, what Joanne said is 100% true. It's where will these responsibilities lie? Um, do we, and I know you said, we. of course we have um, a transitional period, But will that be sufficient for these uh, DSCs to be functioning in a way that they can cover all the ground that they're supposed to? I think that still still has to be seen. I have every faith that they will do it, but when, I
0: don't know yet. Sandro, what's your perspective on enforcement and on who should those regulatory bodies be?
1: I mean, uh, on these uh, two issues, one uh, operational and other legal, uh, the two. I will mention a few, few examples. The operational is that, I mean, uh, uh, we have uh, to make sure that uh, the uh, surveillance authority, uh, the regulators, have enough uh, human and financial resources. And this is the key point. I think that, uh, I mean, this is also something that I hope uh, I, the Commission uh, replied to me several times that it will take into account. But it's clear that, I mean, be uh, both at national level and at European level, you have to put uh, uh, enough resources. Otherwise, uh, otherwise you, will have, you will encounter the same problem that we have encountered at least in the fourth phase of the GDPR implementation, where both because of uh, lack of will and because of lack of resources, the level of implementation in the different member states is pretty imbalanced. Uh, and that is exactly what we have to avoid with the Digital, uh, with Digital Service Act, uh, from this perspective, I mean we will see what will come out of the negotiation between Parliament and Council, but I mean uh, uh, the fact that uh, we also insist on enhanced cooperation mechanisms bec- between the authority of the country of origin and the country of uh, destination, uh, with a stronger role also for the Commission that can help, but both I repeat I insist both here in Brussels and the capital they have to put more money and more people. Uh, to ensure that the DSA properly properly works. And then, I mean, there is a, 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 a set, I I, I won't uh, go one by one, but a, a set of rights for the consumers to redress, to be better informed, uh, to uh, appeal, to have a right of appeal, uh, to have also the possibility of being compensated for the damages provoked by the violation of certain aspects of the, the DSA regulation. I think that all this goes towards the right... Uh, uh, direction uh, of a, a more transparent uh, market. And I think that also for the uh, online uh, market uh, marketplaces, this uh, is something uh, which goes in their favor because the more transparency uh, it, you ensure, uh, the more you let the market develop because there is more confidence uh, of the consumers. So I think that uh, from this perspective, there are certainly important steps ahead.
0: I think we're probably going to add to that uh, a a need for the different regulators in the different capitals, the different member states to be joined up and coherent with each other as well, uh, to head off any future forum shopping as it it may come to pass. Joanne, let me turn to another element, um, one which I think is quite interesting about online marketplaces and the know your business customer requirement. Do you think that's something that's a, a realistic working proposal at the moment?
2: Well, first of all, one can understand the need to protect customers. And uh, because this is something that, politically speaking, is is, is very strong, uh, and particularly, I think that during the pandemic, many many governments, uh, with the increase of let's say online markets, people buying or having access to, to 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 different products online due to the to the restrictions, uh, of course, I mean that, that, that this has grown, uh, and with that, I mean uh, concerns have grown. But on the other hand, I think that. Uh, I mean, the... the this idea that is uh, laudable of, of protecting users, I think that in some cases may indeed harm certain business models that rely on certain, indeed, the need to, to, to know to know their customers. And I think that in this case also, I mean, it can be problematic to introduce further restrictions that at the end of the day, I mean, affect uh, provisions that are already included, for example, in the GDPR, creating thus creating certain uh, problems in terms of, of of interpretation so in this sense i think that uh, the, the 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 dsa needs to be uh, needs to be refined the first thing second i think that certain obligations um, uh, let's say in terms of protecting legality that now are imposed on platforms uh, they need to be redistributed so to speak uh, in terms of better collaboration between uh, platforms and um, consumer Protection authorities and data protection authorities, because otherwise, I mean, somehow can be made to let's say small actors uh, that uh, really rely on uh, the new online markets um, the, to, to 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 thrive in the precisely in, in in the digital economy. Also, the notion itself of, of online markets, I think, needs to be um, a little bit better defined in the in the text of the DSA, because the idea of facilitating contracts is still very much open uh, in my in my view, and they may, uh, let's say, trigger issues of interpretation, because uh, I mean, in this uh, concept of facilitating, I mean, the contracts or commercial interactions, we can find many, many different models with different degrees of intervention by intermediaries. And this is probably not sufficiently contemplated uh, with sufficient, let's say, or this is not contemplated with sufficient finesse at this point by the text of the DSA.
0: Asha, I think you wanted to jump in with a comment.
3: Yes, yeah, sure. So I, I uh, don't wanted to derail us back on on the conversation there, but I, I thought this uh, question around enforcement was incredibly important because of where we are in the legislative process. We've got the negotiations ongoing. We're moving what seems to be quite swiftly towards the conclusion of the text, and so we have to think about enforcement already, if not yesterday. Um, and so. When looking at the enforcement mechanisms put forward and, and looking at the different mandates, so you have the European parliamentary mandates and the, the Council's general approach, you can see that the centralized approach proposed by the Council um, uh, subjectively does try to correct some of the the errors or or issues that we've seen with enforcement of GDPR. Um, And so I just wanted to reiterate some of the points around the kind of sufficient resourcing when it comes to the enforcement bodies and how existing bodies are supposed to interact with one another and how they're supposed to harmonize their approaches and um, what they are supposed to be responsible for. But one thing that I thought was uh, very vital to raise here is that the question of enforcement still raises other concerns around the rule of law. And as the mechanisms have been proposed in the draft proposal, but even through the amendments process, some of these concerns uh, still remain. Uh, Joan mentioned uh, um, previously about the independence of the the commission, and this is an excellent point. But I also wanted to talk about, say, the the kind of co-regulatory approach of the uh, DSA and some of the uh, voluntary measures that have been foreseen in the enforce- uh, to aid in the enforcement of the Digital Services Act, notably the Code of Conduct um, on illegal hate speech, but other foreseen codes of conduct. And we have to be careful when thinking about this in terms of enforcement and how to use these mechanisms as well to make sure that they don't push content regulation out of the bounds of traditional uh, due process and to make sure that enforcement is not only workable, but does stand up to the rule of law, which as we know, has been a very deep and detailed discussion in the European sphere over the last few years. I'm going to stay
0: with you with a a follow-up question that's come from our audience. Uh, Aidan has asked us to talk about implementation and regulation, but also asked how are such measures deemed to be a success how do we measure success do we have any kpis for this as it were
3: really important question and i think given how broad the dsa is going to be we're going to have uh, to need some very concrete measures um, of success Um, but content moderation in itself is an ever-evolving effort um, that needs to adapt to contemporary challenges, and so therefore we need to make sure that one of the uh, elements that we are looking at is a better handling of of user content, and that's kind of through um, compliance with the clear proportional obligations um, that are workable and, and the realization of those kind of foreseen due diligence obligations, but making sure that the the risk mitigation measures, so the Articles 26 and Articles 27, and what they contribute to, and the assessment of those can clearly see a progression and an improvement um, of of the digital ecosystem and how people are um, experiencing those, how people are able to access those kind of content moderation mechanisms, those user address mechanisms um, and to see a a broader improvement. But then as we go deeper and research is developed and, and analyses are developed, they will also be able to contribute to us having an analysis and a complete picture of whether the ecosystem and whether measures that are being adopted are Working towards an improvement, and this is where um, uh, topics such as access to data, researchers, um, and the development of concrete analyses are so important.
4: Yes, Sarah. Yeah, I on that. Article twenty six and twenty seven are going to be key in this in, in, in this whole uh, part of the discussion because the codes of conduct. If I'm looking at the disinformation space, where you know we've been working for almost a year on the revision of the code of practice on disinformation which the Commission um, hopes will eventually uh, become a Code of Conduct under the DSA. Um, there, there there are going to be very, very specific KPIs in there. and But there's also going to be an oversight group in terms of regulators, in terms of the Digital Media Observatory, uh, the Commission coming together as a task force to oversee that work. So how will that fit in with the enforcement, overall enforcement of the DSA through the DSCs? Those are questions that I think we're going to have to tackle when it's actually on the ground. At the moment, we're working in parallel. And going back to your question on how is it going to conflict with some of the work that's being done, I think that that's where we're going to start seeing clashes, not for a uh, will of effort or uh, wanting to, uh, to create conflict. It's just how will it actually work? Um, But we're not there yet.
0: Well, uh, it's interesting because uh, Tony Gregory is asking uh, online uh, about existing intersection with existing media law. Um, He says, is the DSA going to bring online content, for example, Netflix, YouTube, into line with broadcasting editorial standards for TV and radio? It is no longer sustainable to have two different editorial regulatory standards.
4: Well, you have uh, AVMSs already in place so that's not the role of the dsa the avms is already in place Uh,
0: another question also a little bit on scope from masoud is the metaverse taken into account in the dsa regulation or only online platforms as the metaverse is beyond current social media platforms i presume we don't really know what the metaverse is yet what would you say to that
1: <laughs> <laughs> I no, don't know. Uh, I, I'm not sure I haven't understood the question. Really.
0: I, I think he's talking about the uh, virtual reality at the world, the metaverse. At the metaverse yes.
1: But I mean, I, I, d- I don't know how, how how much the metaverse would be covered by uh, by the CIA obligation. I don't know. I really don't know how to answer to this question. Down
4: functionalities and that? There, I'm not sure. To be honest, I haven't, I haven't had insight for first firsthand it's into how you metaverse you were. <laughs>
0: Thank you for the question. You're talking bleeding edge technology there that we really <laughs> don't have an insight into yet. Um, that's probably a very good point to raise that we do need to look ahead and we've talked about future-proofing. But uh, as yet, I don't think anyone in our panel is in a position to answer that question today. But our audience should still keep sending in questions. You've got a chat box there. We've got a few minutes left. So um, I'm going to come back, Asha, to, to a key point that has been raised uh, also, uh, which is what will digital advertising look like? Um, it's it's a driver. It's a, It's the so-called engine, if you like, of a lot of the uh, so-called free internet. Um, but it is problematic for for various reasons. What is the DSA going to do to it, or is it going to change it
3: fundamentally? So I think it's no secret to anybody here on the panel or to those engaged in the discussion that online advertising has been on the the highest of points on the political agenda when it comes to to the DSA negotiations. And the European Parliament put forward a a strong mandate which includes a prohibition on the use of sensitive data such as religion, political opinions or sexual orientation Um, and this uh, ban on minors in line with uh, Article 9 of of GDPR, that first point and then the, the, the ban on minors. So this is a stark variation to the council's general approach, and Article 24 uh, remains uh, on the agenda for the technical and political discussions. But thereby, we're actually yet to see what the DSA will determine uh, when it comes to digital advertising and what that will look like, because you have these variations between mandates and because the negotiations are still going on. But from our perspective, in an era of behaviorally targeted advertising as a norm, Prior efforts to manage the negative impacts of online advertising in this context have proven insufficient. Uh, a a panellist, MEP Gozi, has mentioned, uh, without naming my uh, my own home state and uh, the the issues there that we saw with Cambridge Analytica in in twenty eighteen, for example. So, at the crux of this debate are the impacts on democracy and democratic participation, particularly in regards to say micro-targeting and how this has been used historically against uh, marginalized communities in particular. And in fact, the fact that many users are still not fully aware of how certain inferred data about them is being used uh, for these purposes, even in spite of the existing limitations that exist under GDPR or how the online advertising ecosystem fundamentally works. The very concept of the, the kind of dominance of the surveillance-based advertising model, um, it, it just doesn't simply tra- uh, support a transparent, thriving democracies. And so what we truly hope as civil society is that the current status quo on online advertising um, and that ecosystem is fundamentally shifted, not only by the provisions in the Digital Services Act, but in the provisions and the enforcement of other mechanisms that we've spoken about today.
0: Uh, Jean, what's your perspective on, on the digital advertising space as it relates to the DSA?
2: Well, no, I, I subscribe what, what has just been said because I believe that uh, we need to understand that um, political advertising, even if it's called advertising, it's political speech and uh, political propaganda, so to speak. So it's a completely different type of content if we compare it to commercial uh, let's see uh advertising so so the name it's basically I mean uh, of course I mean political advertising also tries to sell something but I mean the way uh, the type of clients um, the social function of political advertising um, the implications of data collections of, of data collections are completely different so I'm totally in favor of I mean specific norms that particularly focus on issues related to uh, political advertising advertising. I think that even when it comes to data protection challenges and the know your customer, uh, I mean, uh, debate that, that you were mentioning earlier, I mean, these are completely two completely different debates here uh, when it comes to, to political advertising. And here, I mean, the know, know your customer principle wouldn't apply at all. Huh? But uh, there's another issue as well that I think it is relevant is the fact that all member states have their own specific uh, legislation in this field uh and in times uh in, in many in many cases we have very much diverging legislation uh depending for example b- between countries that are in northern europe countries that are in southern Europe uh very i mean election laws that were drafted perhaps i mean 50 60 70 years ago and it will be a particular challenge also for 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 national uh let's say uh, legislators to adapt uh to this new reality and the dsa will Will, will force them uh, to adapt. So this is something, this is an area that we need to understand at the national level may also trigger interesting legal um, and, uh, uh, let's say, uh, political debates, because it will, it will force states to rethink an area that uh, so far has been pretty much monopolized by at the state level. You know? And now, I mean, uh, let's say that the, the, the European legislation is forcing to rethink uh, some basic principles that were regulated by by national legislation. As I said, thank you, Sandra. This is very much your
0: field. I mean, would you be rather working from a blank slate, or are you pleased that the DSA is making some inroads in this area?
1: Well, now uh, let me let me explain because it's important. I mean, the DSA is a sort of general horizontal legislation we set down very general principles in the field of uh, activities online. Eh? And uh, uh, we have decided in the parliament to introduce also specific provisions for uh, advertising, banning targeted advertising for certain uh, categories uh, looking at sensitive data. OK, and this is for commercial advertising. Uh, what uh, John Baratta was referring to, and I fully share his views is political advertising. And political advertising is going to be uh, regulated in another piece of legislation, sorry, okay, another piece of legislation uh, which uh, is devoted to political advertising and on which we have to ask ourselves, uh, at least in my view, uh, three questions to, to answer to your question. The first is uh, political advertising is, uh, is only of political actors or there are other actors? I think that the answer is other actors as well. And this is, uh, it is the matter of the scope of this regulation, because I think that, I mean, uh, it, is, it, is, cannot be, uh, it cannot be uh, um, decided looking at the actors, but looking at the activity. If it, the activity is political advertising, uh, on that activity, we should apply the rules of political advertising. That's the first point. The second point is uh, Cambridge Analytica, has been mentioned by Asha Allen. Uh, should we tackle the risk? Should we try to prevent uh, other Cambridge, Cambridge analytics in the future? Of course, I think that I, I do the unanimity here. The answer is yes. Is transparency the only way and it is transparent in untransparency the sufficient way? That for me is an open question. Certainly, we have to introduce stronger transparency requirements. It must be very easy for me as a citizen. When I look at the post, uh, this post uh, is paid by Sandro Gozzi. Uh, Sandro Gozzi has paid uh, 100,000 uh, euro to promote this campaign uh, uh, for, I mean, uh, against uh, um, whatever, I mean, uh, on a political issue. It is must, must, must be very clear, very, very clear. And then should we, on the model of what we did in the Parliament for commercial advertising, uh, introduce s- more stringent, more, more binding requirements for certain technique, uh, targeted advertising, uh, amplification technique, etc. I mean should we do that? Should we ban or should we, uh, that, that, these are the three points about which we are working, but they, uh, also they all go to, toward the the direction you 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 mentioned it is clear that uh, it is not not it is something which is at the heart of our democracy more and more so more and more we make up our mind or more and more we convince the voters through uh political advertising and there are strong uh, huge differences among the member states and these are i mean uh uh, it is also from the platform point of view it is an interest to have more uniform rules because as a service providers i need uh, to be able to i mean have uniform rules on political advertising everywhere so but I, I suggest that you organize another debate on this Absolutely. Also, brilliant ideas on these three points. We have
0: only a few minutes left. Thank you very much. I think (laughs) there is so much fascinating. We could talk for hours about it. There's also many areas we can look at: sample size of target groups, whether a particular branded red cap for sale is actually a political advertisement or not. Um, I'm going to ask everyone for a very quick one-minute wrap-up. Asha, I'm going to let you start because I know time is of the essence.
3: Thank you so much, and yes, we definitely need to have another debate on this. Uh, CDT Europe will also be engaging uh, in the legislations that were just being uh, spoken about. Um, but just to have a very quick wrap up on this this discussion, um, and I want to come back to NEP's uh, gozi's point that he just made on the fact that the DSA is a general horizontal legislation, and this means it needs to set a foundation. It's a foundational piece, and that must be clear legislators need to recognize the leading position that the timeline of the digital services act and the negotiations and where that has placed the eu in terms of being a leader in this area there cannot be provisions um, that could be operationalized by authoritarian governments for example um, thinking about the current political context that we're in we need to make sure that the provisions that we have stand up to not only eu values but international human rights values too. The obligations, especially around transparency and due diligence, must be practical, actionable, and proportionate so that we don't develop a swathe of mechanisms that are ultimately not impactful or unenforceable. They need to make sure that they are upholding individual users' rights online and bolster um, a diverse eco- uh, ecosystem. And lastly, I would say we've covered a lot of grounds, but the ground is huge. And so a multi-stakeholder approach is certainly needed. And I would be remiss if I didn't say that civil society must be at the heart of this discussion with the expertise um, and uh, objectives that we bring to this. It must be, uh, the DSA must be completed in the true spirit of transparency and democratic participation. And that means from inception to implementation to enforcement to assessment to reevaluation evaluation, civil society must be there to ensure that rights are upheld and that we are part of that conversation. Thanks, Asha, giving
0: us a lot of work for the future there. Uh, Joanne, uh, really briefly, if you could sum up in a minute or so what you want our key takeaway to be today.
2: Yeah, I would like to to just to mention two things, first to reiterate this idea that obligations need to pass the test, if I can put it this way, of necessity proportionality and let me add um, efficacy if you wish Uh, in terms of the benefiting consumers and and legal and legal certainty the second thing i would like to stress and by the way of something siada mentioned is that i believe that articles 26 and 27 are key in the dsa they are key because first are fundamental uh, in order to address certain risks Uh, in societies, but they are also key because they may have a very strong impact on the exercise of of human rights, and um, these two elements uh, put them at the very centre of the debates that still need to take place uh, as part of the legislative process. I see a lot of Let's say risk assessment, risk mitigation. When it comes to risks for society, that are defined in many in many cases, I mean, in the the wording of these articles, in a very broad manner. But I'm still missing human rights risk assessments and human rights needs mitigation, uh, risks mitigations to be incorporated into into the text of the DSA. So, with that idea, I think I I will conclude. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Uh, Sayada, it's a tough job to sum up. I know it's been very broad ranging.
4: It has, but I think that one thing we definitely got out of it is with the brief uh, diversion to the political advertising issue is that the balance was struck uh, correctly by the commission when they put out a horizontal framework that will be complemented by the verticals where we indeed can have discussions about scope about are we talking about the specifics of the content or of the approach, the issue-based advertising, the political ads. And you can only do that in verticals. So I think that's one thing. The other thing is the setup of having continued dialogue to keep it future-proof, which means risk mitigation. It means continuing to know where the technology is going and making sure that it's incorporated I'm not sure if that goes down the metaverse question, but maybe. And then again, the enforcement um, and getting that balance right, because we are embarking on a different way of enforcing and making sure we have the correct resources, the correct interlocutors to work with. Um, It's all going to be good.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Sandro. One key thought in in our few remaining seconds.
1: I mean, uh, we're talking about the most important uh, initiative of this parliamentary term. And uh, Europe will be judged also, and especially the European Parliament will be judged also on the quality of the solution that we will uh, find on these issues.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you indeed to all of our panellists. Thank you to you, the audience, for your questions, especially those tricky ones that we couldn't answer. Do stay with your active online. Follow EA Debates for future debates and policy events that we will have happening both in a hybrid format, here in the room, and online. And with that, I wish everyone a great afternoon.